these elephants will stay where they're at. So you see these elephants and they're eating, like there's nothing left. They're walking in their own dung. And he, um, he says, they don't move until the promise of rain. And so hundreds of miles away, these elephants will smell the rain and they'll start migrating and they're matriarchal. So it'll be the female matriarch that will bring all these other elephants to where the rain is. Welcome to Listener. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Today on the show is Julie Chang, one of the current campus team leaders in Salt Lake City, Utah, who's transitioning to co-directing audience expansion for the campus ministry. Is there someone you'd like to hear on Listener? Email me at samanthaholland at crew.org. Enjoy the show. So you're not drinking coffee anymore. No, I'm not. I'm impressed and really sorry for you at the same (laughs) time. I know. Well, I don't know how long it'll last. I have a tendency to quit coffee multiple times every year. So this is the time. Why right now? Well, so uh, in the midst of my transition, I started seeing a therapist. Did your therapist recommend going off coffee? No. So in the transition and all the traveling and everything, um, I just started to feel like I was on overdrive and I also wanted to transition well. So I started seeing this new therapist and she was like, uh, well, tell me about your life. And I described how my life was going. And she said, I'm pretty sure you're experiencing adrenal fatigue. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what that is. And she basically said that your cortisol levels are probably out of whack and you're running on a lot of adrenaline, which, I mean, isn't that like most staff life? <laughs> so, it's like most, most life yeah, life. Yeah, that's what I think. I just think, well, that's life. <laughs> so you're just a human. So I'm a human being. told you. Yes, I'm, I'm just yeah. a girl who is, uh, who's got crazy cortisol levels <laughs> and... So I just ran with it because she was just like, yeah, you should like focus more on your self-care. And um, Mm -hmm. so I started doing like slower exercises like yoga or Mm -hmm. she's like, if you do uh, cardio, don't get too intense. And I was like, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) So so she Already not a problem for me. Not a problem, but (laughs) yes. Okay. And then I have a friend who also experiences adrenal fatigue. And she says that one of the biggest cortisol spikes that you can uh, give yourself is through drinking coffee consistently. And so, um, I just thought about it and I thought, you know, I really want to be healthier. Um, and so I quit drinking coffee two weeks ago. And um, it's been good. First couple days I had a headache, but then after that I was fine. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, keep me posted. Yeah. Didn't you quit coffee for a while? I've quit coffee several times, and usually it's about the week or two-week mark that I really start to feel it. I feel like I can't go on, and I've never been able to push through the... I can't go on feeling. I always go back on coffee. So back to movie pass. Yes. Did you get one? Yeah. So I got a movie pass after you guys told me about movie pass. Yeah. So what, how many movies have you seen recently and what was the best one? Oh, a lot. (laughs) I've seen a lot. I I mean, I went from hurricane heist all the way to, uh, shape of water. Um, and I actually, which one best picture? Yes. I loved shape of water. 
So the first scene was her in isolation, uh, but she's on her own. And then the second scene of it was a man and a woman in a marriage, but he treated her um, in such a way that was so inhumane. So it was, and then... Like, what's worse, this marriage or her alone? Which both are, are, are not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have mm-hmm. the question and which was interesting because the way he was like he, his two fingers were, you know, they sewed the two fingers almost like he was partially like partially decomposing like a Frankenstein esque. And um, so I think the huge question of the movie was what is human? Because it almost seemed like mm. wholeness and humanness was was even more with the fish man than it was with um, this guy who was supposed to be, I mean, who is a human being, but so broken, which reminded me of um, Josh Butler's book, The Pursuit of God, and he always talked about, like, Jesus is not, he's, we forget that he's fully human and fully God, right? So in the movie, they talked about him being a God, the fish man being a God, but he's also, like, seemed like he was also like a man too mm-hmm. um but the aspect of jesus is more human than us it's not because he's um on hmm. steroids or anything it's like he's he's just more whole he's he's the most he's the most human of humanity is is who christ is that's who christ is and we wow. are through through uh, the holy spirit are are able to become more human in how we were meant to be um, because of what Christ did yes. on the cross. And so I just thought it was really interesting, all the parallelisms in the movie. I think sometimes I feel like I shouldn't or can't talk about rated R movies that I see that really are saying something important culturally, but rated R movie. So yeah. do I just recommend it to all my friends? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I actually, I think, I feel okay about it. If you have, if you're able to have a conversation with your friends about it, of why, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like a student. Like, you're not going to shield them. Why don't we just have a conversation about it? I just think that's healthier. Yeah. And especially if mm-hmm. it's your friends, it's like, even if they disagree. I actually went with my pastor, one of my pastors, to watch Shape of Water. And, mm-hmm. um... Because we were we were both like curious, it was such a long conversation at the table, and I was like, I don't want that to be what stops me. This got best picture. I'm curious about why it got best picture and what it says about our culture and about society and all those different things. And so, when you have that conversation, so one of the people who was at the table that was like, I will not watch that movie. Um, mm-hmm. Her and I later had a conversation about it, and I just said, I I think this is what I took from basically what I shared with you. Um, about the movie, and she said, okay, I think I'll watch it. And I said, once you do, let's have a conversation, and we can discuss it. That's good. So, so you mentioned... I know. And I think there's... I know. More. Well, and I felt that way about Get Out. Mm-hmm. Did you see Get Out? No, I haven't seen it. Mm-mm. Well, Get Out is a horror film. Oh, yeah. I mean, technically, that's the genre, which I didn't even know going in. A lot of times Darren will know a lot about movies and we'll go see him and I will have no idea. And I kind of love that element of surprise. But it's, so the genre is horror and it's about 
a black man who's dating a white woman and she's taking him home to see to meet her family in I think Connecticut sort of this um, conservative white kind of environment that she's taking him into Mm -hmm. and um, I mean without spoiling the movie for you it's um, the most shocking thing about it is not the horror in the film Hmm. it's it's uh, what this black man experiences when he goes and meets her family and after I watched it, I felt like I don't think there was a way to tell that story another way. Huh. It had to be, it's horrific. Yeah. And the genre, he used that genre for a reason. Hmm. And I think it got best screenplay, huh. something. There was a discussion about it in the crew cultural competency group on Facebook, and some people were saying, I really don't want to watch a horror movie. And I get it. I actually don't like that genre. Again, I just felt it was a necessary way to communicate what he was trying to get across. Hmm. Like, this is how it feels to be, for some black men, to, to be interacting in a white majority yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, you just recommended a book that I haven't read before, Josh Butler's... The Pursuit of God. The Pursuit of God. Mm-hmm. You recommend that oh, one? Oh, yeah. And why? Um, I... Why do I recommend it? I just think it talks a lot about God's pursuit of us and, and how much we take responsibility and how much he actually takes the responsibility. And just the picture of um, how he has entered into humanity and into our world um, because of his love, he describes it in such a way. He describes it like a portrait that has so- something wrong with it, and so the artist goes into the por- into his art. And I I just really like the way that's described, and hmm. um, it's a lot about your relationship with God and your view of God and how and how much He loves you. And so I read it, really enjoyed it. Um, I, also, I, I don't own it anymore. I gave it away. So you know it's a good book when you give it away. Yeah. Yeah. So. For sure. And I think in the context that I live in here in Salt Lake or in Utah in general, to have the idea that God has entered our world and is pursuing us with such a mad pursuit um, is is so refreshing and I think people here especially here need to hear it versus them holding on to God God is holding on to them so yeah yeah does that include students on campus yes Uh uh-huh because you are in Salt Lake City yeah tell us about what campus ministry has been like there how long have you been the team leader there one of the team leaders yes I can't remember how long I've been one of the team leaders. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's been a few years. Uh, mm-hmm. I've li- I moved here in '09, and I've been through several staff teams since living here, or a few since living here. And uh, I think by default, I was never. I hadn't been the team leader. I don't. Something that you may or may not know about me, Sam, is that I don't like to lead. And so when I was asked to be a team leader. It took a couple years for me to say yes, or a few years, actually. I had to go through the process twice (laughs) of doing it. Why don't you like to lead? I don't like the responsibility of it. I don't like um, 
I think I really like behind the scenes stuff better than trying to move things around and make decisions, which is funny. I also uh, have imposter syndrome, major imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. where I think everybody else knows what's going on and I don't know what's going on. And so I don't want everybody to know that I don't know what's going on. So therefore, I will stay in the You don't want to be exposed. Exactly. That and like people just don't like leaders. And I like to be liked. (laughs) So It's lonely at the top. It is. It's really lonely at the top. But the Lord really called me into being a team leader. It was a long process. It uh, had to deal with the whole elephants thing. I had a lot of elephants in my life where the Lord was saying, Julie, it's time to lead. So elephants and symbolism is really, symbolism is really big in my life. So um, tell us more about the elephants. I was going to ask you about it. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of long, but basically... um, Around the time, the second time I was asked to be a team leader, um, I was taking a walk down City Creek Canyon, and I thought I saw an elephant, which was really weird. And then I was like, oh, no, it's just a car. And um, But then after that, I continued to, like, it just got in the back of my mind, like elephants. And then it was every single day after that for two years in a row, I would see an elephant and it wasn't in my mind. It was like a figurine or it was printed on pants or whatever. And it wasn't during the time where elephants were like, were really uh, hip and cool on, on everything or in everything. Um, It was before elephants were cool. Yeah. It was before elephants were like really cool to be on everything. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. during that period of time, um, my dad had a stroke and even, so I went to Taiwan and even in Taiwan, every day, I'd see an elephant. And actually, it came to a point where I was really annoyed by seeing elephants all the time. And I would be like, oh, today I haven't seen an elephant. Thank God I haven't seen an elephant. And then, <laughs> like two hours later, I'll be riding on a public transportation looking out you know, the window, and I'll see an elephant in like another window. So things like that. And so I went to my pastor of the church that I was uh, attending at the time, And I sat them down. Well, before that all happened, um, the first time I started seeing elephants, it was like a week or two weeks of seeing an elephant. And I sat my roommate down, um, who used to be on staff, and I said to her, Emily, I keep on seeing these elephants, and I don't know why, but I'm really tempted to go new age on this and Google it and see what is up with that. Um, Can we just pray to God that if there's a reason why he keeps on showing if, if there's a reason if he's the one that's showing me all these elephants that he would explain himself but if not could we just bind it and so that I wouldn't have to deal with it so she said sure we prayed about it and then I left um town and even leaving town at the airports I was seeing elephants um and that was so then did you think oh maybe this is from God because we prayed well no not yet I was just waiting for him to answer Okay. And then I came back and she said, Julie, have you seen the DV or the movie Planet Earth? And I said, no. And she goes, I have the DVD. I want you to watch the desert scene. And so it had these elephants, these elephants are walking and they're like, the commentator says, um, you know, it's not the lack of water that kills these animals, but the lack of food. And then you have these elephants and they're digging in the, the dry ground and they grab this 
dry grass and they pick it up and they put it in their mouth. And he says, these elephants eat the roots of the desert uh, grass to keep alive. And then the next day I went to Sunday school because that was Saturday night and then Sunday morning I went to Sunday school and we're going through gospel synopsis. And uh, we go through Isaiah in describing Christ. He is the root of the desert grass and or he is the he is the root of Oh, now I can't even remember how it goes, but he's the root of the plant, basically. <laughs> and Something um, very significant. Something very significant, and that was confirmation of uh, that this was from God and not, and not some other weird thing. And so I started doing my research, and that's when I started. To, that's when I called my pastor and said, can we have a conversation? And he's like, oh, I think God is trying to show you something through these elephants. Did you know that they're matriarchal? And I said, no, I did not. And then he said, did you know that they are one of the only animals other than mammals, animals, that uh, mourn the death of their own? And I, I did not know that either. He goes, yeah, they're really smart. Um, and so I started doing research. And um, at that time, the Great Migrations National Geographic DVD just came out or movie came out, documentary. And I watched the elephant scene, and it was really interesting because um, the commentator had the elephants. They just showed, like, these elephants migrating. And basically, in the migration, you think that they just go from here to there because they always follow the rain. And so I thought... Um, oh, they probably go to one part of the land in the desert and then they go to another part. Well, what happens is they go to the same, they've gone through the same pattern from generation to generation um, in the same circle of, of migration. And uh, the commentator says these elephants will stay where they're at. So you see these elephants and they're eating like there's nothing left. They're walking in their own dung. And he, um, he says they don't move until the promise of rain. And so hundreds of miles away, these elephants will smell the rain and they'll start migrating and they're matriarchal. So it will be the female matriarch that will bring all these other elephants to where the rain is. And the cool thing about elephants is they, um, they take down dying forests and they plant new ones in the fertile ground. And so I thought that was really cool. And, um, so often I think about like, you know, with life during that time, I was, I think I was like figuring out quarter life crisis stuff and, uh, where does God want me? And I'm, you know, also like moving into my thirties and not married. I thought my life was supposed to look differently and all these different things. And I felt like personally, I was going around in circles and, um, I went to old Testament survey class that year and, uh, Futado, was talking about how um, how rain is a symbol of God's presence in the Old Testament, and that's why the Canaanites, or excuse me, the Israelites turned to false gods. And in the New Testament, um, the presence of God is through the Holy Spirit. And so rain is actually a symbol of the Holy Spirit, in a sense. So basically, in my mind, I was thinking, it's not about doing these new activities or these new things or my life going a certain way or the checklist, but it is about following the Holy Spirit, the promise of rain. So that's when I was like, okay, I will lead. Wow. I will do this. You have convinced me. And every single time, it's funny, 
during that season, every single time, like I'd leave a Bible study and I would be like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? You know, I'm in my thirties. What am I doing? Hanging out with college students, you know, all these different things. And I remember just like crying out to the Lord and I was in a traffic jam, which in Utah, there's not a ton of those. And I was sitting there and I was like, kind of like gazing off into the mountains. And then I just glanced in front of me and there was this guy in front of me, his decal on the, on the back of his window was this like almost a 3d elephant. And it looked like it was walking toward me. And it was almost like God reminding me, like, just follow the spirit, just follow the spirit. So, yeah. So sweet of the Lord to just lead you so intimately and specifically like this is for Julie. How does God like have time to focus on every single one of us? I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. It was amazing. And it wasn't until years later. I also, uh, I was at a barbecue and people here like to say my first and last name because they say it rolls off their tongue. So Julie Chang, Julie Chang. And at the barbecue, this guy said, Oh, your last name is Chang. And I said, Oh yeah. And he goes, did you know that's Thai for elephant? And he had no idea I had that background. No. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And I just started weeping. I was so thankful to the Lord. Like, it's just so intricate even before I was born, you know, like he had this plan to show me and to woo me and to love me and to pursue me. So, and to confirm that, yeah, I'm here, I'm real, I exist and I love you and I'm leading you. Just trust me, just follow me. It's amazing. I love what God does with our names. My name actually means listener, which is how we <laughs> named awesome. this little podcast series. Yeah. Because I, I, I had wanted it to be listener. And that's kind of some of the feedback I've gotten my whole life is you're a good listener, you're a good listener. And which was so weird because my name means listener. And then we were trying to name the podcast and um I was really hesitant to tell Darren what I wanted to call it because he's so, he just knows a lot. He's really wise Mm -hmm. and he has pretty strong opinions about things, marketing, (laughs) imagine that. And so I said, I I think I want to call it listener. And he said, I like that. I I think that's, I like that. (laughs) And then I waited and then I said, my name means listener. And he just like looked at me and said, then obviously you should call it listener. I love that. (laughs) I know. So So I love that image of God just, I mean, our parents don't know when they name us or not that they named you Chang. I mean, that was your family name, but, um, what God even does with names Mm -hmm. is astounding. So the, so the elephant journey was kind of what God was how God was confirming that he was calling you into leadership. Is that when you started leading Mm -hmm. in Utah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was like an undeniable, it was an undeniable thing. Yeah. So, and it, and and it's funny because the elephants didn't stop until I said yes. But you and I saw an elephant uh-huh. in Portland. Uh-huh. Was that just random? You can't just say every elephant now. Sometimes it really is just an elephant. Yeah. I, it's interesting. It's almost yeah. like you internally know by chance. It's like, oh, there's yeah. the elephant. But when you're like, I mean, if I go to a zoo and see an elephant, that's different than, <laughs> you know, like just running into, you know, whatever. If you intentionally go to the elephant exhibit at a zoo, that doesn't count. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, man. So I think that was also interesting with uh, being called into the whole audience expansion, the director of audience expansion, because I think Darren heard the story and he goes, Julie, did you know that the only thing that I've kept of my grandmother's was this figurine of an elephant? And I was like, really? That is true. Which was crazy because I think what that did was it got my attention back in the aspect of the elephants again. And, and, and this is only part of the reason why I said yes to the role for uh, director of audience expansion. But um, <laughs> it wasn't just because of the elephants. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> Darren's grandma's elephant. This is true. But elephants also started coming back up again, which was interesting. Um, and oh. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. Do you have connectedness in your Strengths Finder top five? Yes. I do too. Mm -hmm. And so there, yeah, I'm I tend to think God is showing me specific themes in my life for a reason. And a lot of times it is. Mm -hmm. But I feel I feel like the connectedness strength is what draws that out. Yeah. I think that's why I liked Shape of Water. Because there's I was gonna say that. Yeah. There's so many things to connect. You're you're really good at, I mean, that was really insightful what you said about that movie. Hmm. I feel like you could be a film critic. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Well, if staff life doesn't work out, then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You can keep that in your back pocket for another day. Well, so have you officially transitioned into your next role, which is? directing audience expansion co-directing you and Darren together it's a great question I don't know (laughs) I'm not 100% fully dived in um, but I'm partially Mm -hmm. dived in so I feel Mm -hmm. like it's been like dipping my toe in January uh, or yeah before January kind of like checking it out like looking at the pool and then dipping my toe starting in January and I I would say that I'm like almost fully in the water I have I'm still doing my team leader uh, role right now, and that won't end for another few weeks. But my last huge boulder of moving, um, I, I saw this last semester before transitioning as there were four boulders that I needed to move. And um, the, uh, my last one is this week, which is hosting a spring break, um, spring break visitors. And so after this week, I will like dive more into the lenses Oh, excuse me, <laughs> into audience expansion, um, into the being the director there, which will be the first step will be going with the team to lenses. And then oh, right. I'll come down, I'll, I'll come back and do team leader, um, the Park City, uh, the retreat. So with the LMDs and I think we'll have like some closure and a celebration there of ending my time as a team leader. And then, and then after that, it'll be the full transition, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're all going to do lenses in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. That'll be fun and exciting. I've never been there before. So Yeah, I haven't either. That's going to be awesome. I want to circle back, Julie, to something you said. You said that as God was leading you on the elephant journey, that part of what was going on in your life was you were turning 30 or in your early thirties, not married, Mm -hmm. which was a little bit disillusioning for you because you had expected that Mm -hmm. maybe for your life. Yeah. And yesterday when you listened to the podcast with Vivian Mabuni, Mm -hmm. one of the things that you said resonated with you 
was a story I was telling about one of my children who has said, I don't want to be married. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have a family and how I have come around to seeing that's actually fine if that's God's call in his life. Mm -hmm. I wondered if you could talk about why that part of the podcast resonated with you. Yeah. Well, I might, I might, I might get a little choked up and cry, but I think, um, I've been on this long journey of trying to um, figure out why I feel the way I feel with the Christian culture of marriage and non-marriage and all of those different things. You know, when you're in your 20s, you think, oh, there's there's hope. There, I'm going to get married and da-da-da-da-da. And, um, and especially, like, on on staff, I think it's just even more, like, in your face with people who are married or not married. And, you know, when we had things like wives day and those types of things, I think it kind of was a little bit more like, I'm not a part of that. I'm not, I'm, and sometimes I would be treated like I haven't arrived. And it's not just like on staff, I would say like in my family or uh, in my church, in the churches. And a lot of sermons were geared, have been geared toward families and marriage, which is understandable because a lot of families in uh, marriages struggle in the church, and so it's important to to encourage marriages. But I think uh, there's just been such a um, what is the word like anemacy, or it's just been anemic toward remembering that being single is also a gift. So when I was in my mid twenties, I remember having a conversation with my friend Tammy Jenerick. And she said, Julie, I just think that if we're, if we're going to be single, we should live it well. And if we're going to be married, we should live it well. And I've, I've always thought about that. And I've always like thought, yes, this is so good. Um, but it's been, it's been hard. Like for example, staff life has been hard as a single woman, like for multiple reasons. But I think one of the biggest reasons is people think about the finances of things and they think, well, what are we going to do with a single person? And so I've spent like whole summer projects, summer missions on the floor with the intern um, mm. or, well, the married people were in their own rooms or I've actually been laughed at um, by uh, like people on my team because they want to sleep in, you know, the married couple. One is not on staff. The other one was part time. They wanted to sleep in the in the same room in a bed together, which I get. Um, but that left me being who was, um, more, I mean, has been on staff significantly longer, like sitting, sleeping in the living room or in this open, awkward space or, so I, I mm-hmm. have a tendency to be treated, uh, or like I'm, I'm second class because I'm single. Like it's dishonoring. It's dishonoring. Yes. And also being Asian and the whole aspect of honor, uh, seniority with um, age, uh, and you're you're put you're put in a room with like for example at winter conference I was uh, put in a room with a student, <laughs> you know things like that. I, I just mm-hmm. think it's because people don't know what to do with me, and so there's there's that aspect. And I remember a couple of Christmases ago, I got into this argument with my mother, and she would say things about like selfishness and how you, because you're single, you're selfish. And if you had children, you wouldn't be so selfish. And, um, and I just sat there and I, I said to her, I really think 
that you believe that, um, that people who are married and especially married with children, that they are, they just have arrived or Hmm. more than someone like me. And she looked at me and she said, yes, I do. And that was really hard. And at that time I did not react. I told her that that made me feel really sad. So just a lot of therapy, a lot of counseling (laughs) before I could able even be able to respond that way. Um, and I just cried. I cried to the Lord and on the flight to winter conference, it was during Christmas. Um, the Lord, um, again, in Isaiah brought in the whole, uh, what is the verse? I can't remember. Like the, the barren woman, um, has more children than the woman with children or something like that. And we're on a podcast. I wish I could remember the verses better, but I'll Google it. Okay. What is it? Tell me it's the barren woman has more children than the Uh, the honor. uh, Maybe it's also the arrows, the, the, Oh, the quiver. Yeah. But I think that, uh, is it, um, sing barren women, you who never bore a child. Yes. I burst, think. burst into song shop for joy. You who were never in labor. Yes. Because more, okay. This it's Isaiah 51 one sing barren woman. You who never bore a child burst into song shop for joy. You who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've never read that before. Yeah. Is it Isaiah what 54, 1? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So I read that on the flight to Winter Conference, and it was like the Lord just responded, you know? It was like, just sing, Julie, sing for me. It's okay. So so to hear that, because I hear all the time, you know, like about having a family and, and those types of things, and, um, and I, it's a desire, but it just never happened. And, um, and also the treatment of the culture around me, whether it be living in Utah. And so, gosh, if you are 25 and you're not married, then you're considered an old maid here, you know, or, um, staff life, uh, even of being put on the floor or being put in with the intern or being put in with the student, um, because where else are we going to put you? Like I had anxiety on my team during fall retreats and I had to tell my, t- my co-leaders like, Hey, I have anxiety because I'm afraid if we run out of cabins and I'm going to be put in the cabin with all the students, which I'm willing to do, but can we just make this more of a seniority thing than, uh, if you're married, you know, or non-married thing? I just, I just think that's more appropriate. I'm, I'm pushing 40. I, I need my sleep in order to like love these students well. And we've got these younger married couples who, if they're please be willing to be separated from your husband for the weekend and sleep with students, um, would you be willing to do that? (laughs) You know? So we kind of made it a norm for our team. Um, Oh, you did? Yeah. So they responded. They listened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was good so for helpful. you, Julie. But it was even to speak th- out, to even speak out like that, because I just felt like, well, I'm a missionary. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be entitled. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, what is healthier here? Like, what's healthy for me? What's healthy for our team? I'm the team leader. I um, I'm pushing forty. I don't. I cannot pull the all nighters. 
Um, I want to yeah. love these students well. Yes, I can live with the students, but I think I would do better leading if I didn't have to for the whole weekend. So, Was that hard to say? Yeah, it was hard. I didn't know how it would re- people would respond. I didn't know how my co-leaders would respond. And, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was a good response. So, yeah. Do you feel like, sing- I don't know what to call it, singles culture, the culture of being single, is it changing within, maybe not just crew, but within the church, with the, in the world? Um, do you think it's changing for the better? I don't do know. you see that? I don't know. I think that there's a, there's still a lot of conversation about that. Um, I don't know if it's changing or not, to be honest. I think what I've decided is I can't allow the culture to define what I decide in my life. And so, therefore, I will live my singleness well while being open. And I think it's a personal journey. Like, I remember talking to this woman named Peggy. She's a friend of mine. She's in her 80s now. And when she was 78 years old, I remember sitting down with her uh, over dim sum. She's um, she's Chinese and she's in San Francisco. And I just said, Patty, when did you just finally like give up and and be okay with being single and um, like say, oh, I'm okay with this and just at rest with not being married and not having a family. And it was really interesting because she said to me, oh, Julie, I'm still waiting. I'm still open. And I was like, what? You're 78 years old, you know? And I just sat there. It was a huge lesson for me to know, like, how to live in the tension of, because Patty lives her life fully. She still does mission trips. She's uh, she's still a practicing nurse, <laughs> you know, those types of things, and uh, really involved in her church. And I was just like, I think I'd like to be like, uh, I think I'd like to be like her and not just waiting around or thinking I don't fit in. I, I want to live this life and I want to live it fully. So, so personally, on a personal level, I feel like I've changed, but when it comes to culture, I don't, I actually don't think it has changed that much worldwide mm-hmm. or within our own, um, uh, nearby culture in the United States. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a singles group on Workplace? No. Do you think that's a need? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it would be a need. It would be kind of fun. I know that when we had uh, the crew app, there was like, what was it at the conference at Crew 15? Uh-huh. It was like single yeah. and ready to mingle. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I remember people talking about a singles bus. I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you know, I interviewed Dave Robbins just about how he's taking, stepping in to direct family life. And he told me that family life started out as a singles ministry. Really? I had no idea. I was kind of shocked. I mean, it made sense when he explained it because he said that a lot of, back in the day when a lot of people were coming on staff, a lot of them were single. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of them, it, I think it was almost like a pre- preparation for marriage thing, huh. but but for singles. That's so interesting. And I know. <sighs> I thought it was too. And we, I talked with him a so lot. Much. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I talked with him a lot about, you know, what does family life 
have for singles because mm-hmm. I have, for instance, a single friend, and I told him this on the podcast. I have a single friend who um, is trying to figure out the way she described it to me is she has relationships with um, people who are married, but she has a hard time figuring out how to have a relationship with their whole family, mm-hmm. like the, the couple and all the kids. And she, but she wants that. She wants to have a relationship with the whole family. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I thought that was interesting, but just the idea of even what a family is, mm-hmm. is changing so much. This is true. Right. I feel like it's always been kind of a, there's a cultural idea of things and then there's the reality of everything is different anyway, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, my, um, son who at this point, you know, says he doesn't want to be married. He loves kids. Mm -hmm. Like he loves babies, loves kids. And he always talks about how excited he is to be an uncle. (laughs) It's so cute. I mean, he's he talks about like my nieces and nephews when I'm grown up. And I just think to him, that's family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't want his own kids, but he's excited to be a good uncle. That's, that's so cool. I know. It's so cool that he thinks that way. How different is thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. In middle school. Yeah. Well, um, you told us about Josh Butler's book, the pursuit of God. I would love to know what else you've been reading. Have you been reading much? Yeah, I haven't, but I haven't, I read slowly. So like I'm reading Hidden right now, um, which I can't remember the name of the author. And what is Hidden about? Uh, It's basically about what, like how God sees you in a world that feels like they need to be seen. Hmm. Um, Someone posted it on Instagram, a, uh, a girl on staff, friend of mine, Courtney in Wisconsin. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And I think moving into the ops role, I, I think, you know, like on the field, you're in front of everybody, you're um, speaking, you're, you're the person, especially as a team leader, you're the person that different people in the community go to. But then, like, in the ops, it's in my mind, because it's so new to me, I see it as a, I think I'll be more hidden uh, and not up front, which is a, a totally okay with me. Um, and I'm just really curious how to engage with the Lord in the midst of what if it, it is like, oh, this is, this is the way life is or the transition of it or something. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, are you going to miss campus ministry, being with students yeah. all the time, day um, in and day out? I mean, I'm, I suppose you're not field staff anymore. You're the team leader, so sure. maybe you've already gone through that well, transition. Well, no, because our we have a staff team of five for the whole state. So, <laughs> no, I still am on the field. I think yes and no. I think there are times where I'm just like, oh, this is so sweet. Why would I ever leave? But then at the same mm-hmm. time, I've I've really delved in in the community here, and I engage with like there's a girl in my house church right now and uh, that's small groups from the main church we call it house church she's 20 years old she just left the LDS church uh, a little bit ago and became a believer like maybe two years ago and she doesn't know anything that much about Christianity so I'm going to take her through the five follow-ups you know I'm going to go take her Mm -hmm. through the 
um, basically the basics of Christianity. And so I, I feel like I'm still investing in people on a personal level. It's just not going to be in the same way as I did on campus. So it's not as strategically, yeah. uh, like, students reaching students kind of thing, but it'll be more on a personal level. Wednesday mm-hmm. nights, um, every last Wednesday of the month, I, through my church, I walk the streets uh, here in Salt Lake with, I, I'm also part of leading a small team. It's called Red Light Ministry, and so we talk to prostitutes on the street, and we offer them hygiene kits and warm clothes, and we kind of just let them tell them whatever they want to tell us, their story, and offer prayer and invite them to church on Sunday and let them know that we're here for them. So, How long have you been doing that? I haven't um, heard you talk about that before. Yeah, I've been doing it for about a, over a year now, maybe. Do you have any stories oh, from yeah. that? <laughs> yes, there's so many stories. Yeah. Um, so it, this was interesting. There was a once, uh, let's see here. How do I start it? So through my, through the community here in Salt Lake, uh, we coordinate with a restaurant in town and, um, we serve the homeless women at something called the road home. And, um, so basically like I would, I don't even do nails, but I did their nails uh, we did nails, hair, makeup, and gave them, like, new clothes to wear. And then that evening, um, some men from the different churches in the community would go and escort them to this re- to this restaurant where another people in the community would have cooked up some, like, nice Italian food. And we had table hosts and decorated all the tables and entertained them. And uh, I had a chance to go around and also pray over the women. And um, just, I just remember multiple times at the table, multiple women would say, just pray that I would overcome, overcome from my addictions, overcome from my depression and all these different things, or that I would have, get a job or find a home or I would be safe. And uh, just this last winter, I was walking, um, you know, walking through the streets of Salt Lake like I do. With, with the red light ministry and I ran into one of the women who I did her nails and it was just like this immediate connection we had a chance to talk uh, I had a chance to share the gospel had a chance to pray over her catch up with her a little bit invited her to church um, there's been other stories where like there have been women who when we go and talk to them we'll tell them where the church is located there was one woman who slept um outside of the door of the church the night before so that she could get to church on time that next Sunday. Uh, because, wow. you know, she doesn't have a watch. She doesn't know what time church starts. She doesn't know how, you know. So with all those different things, those are some. There's been women who have been really abused. Um, there was a woman who was pregnant, and she wanted to have an abortion because she couldn't be pregnant. She said, I mean, she was a prostitute. She was addicted. She was homeless, and... Um, and she asked us for money for, uh, an abortion and we told her we couldn't give her money, but we gave her resources in terms of like, um, the pregnancy resource center. We told her about that. We told her about, there's, uh, the Asian, um, the Asian, what is it called? (laughs) I can't remember, but there's another, um, organization here that, that helps, um, women and 
who want to have abortions and to have conversations with them on other options. So those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of, I think it's in Love Does, where Bob Goff talks about, does he meet a prostitute at a restaurant yes. and has a birthday party yes. for her? Yeah, in Hawaii. I think it was in Honolulu or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it wasn't him, but he's telling the story of his friend who did this, who was somehow met. I think it was. Was he a pastor? Because he was a was pastor. Because one of the lines was, um, you didn't tell me you were a pastor. And if I knew that a pastor would uh, hang out with prostitutes, then I would be going to that church yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing it for over a year. It's been really great. So I think in terms of like Did that. Did someone challenge you to get involved with that or your pastor invite you no. or you just learned about it and really felt? I learned about it years ago, um, but I felt like I don't have the capacity to do something like this. My attention's fully on the campus ministry. And I mm-hmm. think I just had to make some decisions. I'm like, what? I had to ask some questions like, what kind of commitment did I want to give? What? Why would I want to do this? Um, those types of things. And it was actually a friend of mine who was also a leader for the Red Light Ministry. She's also a single, uh, single female in her 30s and was like, Julie, uh, we're looking for another leader. Would you be interested? And I was like, I think maybe. What's the commitment? And she was just like, just once a month. And I said, I could do once a month. So hmm. that's how it all started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we sit mm-hmm. around and we... Um, we like there's a team of four of us, four of us women who sit down and we talk about best practices and we uh, work with the community with helping, like 4th Street Clinic, if we see somebody wounded or hurt, we give them a call and, and they're rotating or roaming clinic for homeless people that come out and help people out. And mm. So it's a really interesting and different outlet for me. And um, I don't feel like, I'm not really a leader. <laughs> I mean, I am a leader, but I don't feel like uh, I one of the girls who's on my team is a former student of mine, disciple, and she actually is a social worker. So I actually more lean on her to advise me in how to navigate the scene. And so it's a really great team. Hmm. Yeah. Love that. Thanks for telling us about yeah. that. And it's women led. It's like, because we're women leading, yeah. reaching other women and the men, we have men for safety and security, but they're not there to talk to the women. They're there to, like, carry the heavy stuff and to, you know, be our bodyguards as much as possible if things get crazy. Julie, thanks for your time today. Okay. Okay, I do want to say something, one last thing about the the singles thing. I yeah, also listened yep. to a podcast. It's uh, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Podcast, and it was, like, yeah. just, like, I don't even know. It was, like, maybe seven minutes of and he was like the um the singleness was the name of it or something and um I learned something new about it because he was talking about like when you talked about the culture and the gear the change it's interesting how it's shifted because prior to the reformation in the church um the idea of holiness was singleness so none you know orthodox and catholics it it's it's more geared toward being single But then after the Reformation, the attention went to holiness is functions around marriage and family. Isn't that so interesting? So it's like, this is definitely a cultural thing. This is not a biblical idea. And yet it is so, that's why I think when you share that about your son and your conversation with your son, that's why it hit me. I was like, wow, that is, 
wow, I'm just so encouraged. And that's so powerful to, to have that kind of conversation of, yeah, like this is a cultural thing. This is not a biblical thing. So I know. And it's when you actually read the word, you, you really are able to strip away mm-hmm. what the cultural, yes, <laughs> what my cultural hangups are. Yes. Because I see, wow, it's not in there. Yeah. Yeah. But like the fact that there's not, there's a, and I think I understand why, but there's a mom's budget, but there's not a single, like a, I mean, I know why there would be a mother's budget, uh, but just a single, like a women's budget or or a single's budget. I don't know what that would be, but like, like even the way, the reason, like there's a budget for this, but there's not a budget for other things. And it, it's almost like you put your money where your mouth is if you think that it's valuable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I think about sometimes, too, like even in our organization. Julie, I remember you going on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Was it last year? And you went and, and did the... Camino de Santiago? What is it? Yes. Yes. It was Tell two us years about ago. that. Or a year and a half ago. Oh, two years ago. Yeah, two Gosh, summers. Because okay. last year... That's right. I did a summer mission. So yeah. Um, yeah. So my, this would, this was my second sabbatical. So my first sabbatical was a directed sabbatical where I actually thought I was going to leave staff and become a life coach. So I was taking seminary classes and those types of things. Yeah. This is before I moved to Salt Lake. This is when I lived in Portland in my interim time. Actually, it was an interesting thing because prior to the sabbatical, I got my first 360. And I just remember poor Cass Monaco, she delivered my 360. And I, I mean, I needed a lot of counseling at the time. I stood up and I was like, pointed at the 360 and I shouted. We all need counseling all the time. Yes. I said, they don't know me. They don't know me. They don't even know me. And I said that to her. And she said, Julie, I don't wow. think you're going to make it. And I was like, that's right. I'm going to leave staff because da, 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 da. I mean, I was that staff person. And, um... And she goes, no, no, I don't think you're going to make it in life if you don't, if you don't get some help. And I was just like, oh. And so it was that time where I was like needed to process a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I um, did, was getting a lot of life coaching and counseling and all of that kind of stuff, going through some hard work. And um, in, in the midst of my sabbatical uh I had to make some decisions on how I wanted the next seven years of staff to look like for me. Uh, how did I want to live my life? What was that going to look like? Um, what kind of ministry did I want to offer? And uh, if I was going to stay on staff. And so all these different things happened and I ended up staying on staff. Uh, really definitely felt like the Lord called me into it. Um, and that's when I ended up moving to Utah. And then, so the next sabbatical, I said, what do I want this one to be like? The first one was all about rest and reflection. I still want rest and reflection, but I don't think I want to do it the same way I did before. And um, a friend of mine told me about the Camino de Santiago and different pilgrimages. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to take a pilgrimage. But I'm a single woman and it could be dangerous. I don't speak Spanish. I've never been to Spain or any of that area. Um, and so what I ended up doing was buying a book. I, I, this is how I tend to do things. I tend to 
learn like barely anything about it and then just dive in. And so I bought a book and I just figured out how I should pack. Uh, found out through my airline miles that I could have a stopover in Iceland for free. So I ended up, and Iceland's so expensive, but I found this awesome tour. So I horseback rode through Iceland. And then after I horseback rode through Iceland, I ended up stopping in France and um, because that's where my miles took me. Uh, invited a former disciple of mine. So we ended up taking city bikes and just biked through Paris for the week, discovered Paris, and then I went to the running of the bulls um, in Spain. And uh, after that, I started my journey on my walk. And every day, I thought that I was going to not make it. Like, I got lost the first day. I got lost for, like, a good two hours. And They don't have the trail marked okay, very well? Okay, so the way that... Weren't there other people? <laughs> so the way the trail is marked is that you see a symbol, and then later you see maybe an arrow, or you would see the symbol. And the arrow would tell you which way to, which way to walk. But okay, there were times, so it's easy to lose your oh, way. Oh, it's totally easy to lose your way. Very easy. And so there were a couple times. And is there spiritual significance in that? Maybe they make it hard for a reason. Yes. Yeah, well, I definitely prayed the whole time. Uh, I prayed that I'd make it. God, just help me get to the next <laughs> yes. town. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, but it was, it was really cool. Uh, I had a chance to like realize like, yeah, it's not about getting to the end. It's just about this, this journey, this journey of just walking, just walking. And the pack was heavy. Like there would be times where I would, the pack had rubbed through my skin raw. So I'd be bleeding through my shirt sometimes. And I had plantar fasciitis and my feet hurt so bad. And it was an elevation gain the whole time. I didn't do the standard. I didn't do the standard uh, French way. I did the English way, which you uh, have like, I mean, in one day, you could have 4,000 feet of elevation that you'd be walking. Um, so the whole time, I felt like I was walking uphill <laughs> to something. Because you were. Because I was. Oh, and also, right before I left, I found out I had arthritis in my hip from an old climbing accident. Oh so God. I was like, oh. well, I really hope I make this. And so I would just be, like, leaning against the tree because it would be too painful to take my pack off. And I would just be praying and I'd be crying. I'd be crying because I was in so much pain. But then I'd just start crying because I was so thankful. I was so thankful that I could take this journey. Like I could do, I was able to do this, you know. Um, It was the last day my body started cramping up and I thought I wasn't going to make it to the end. (laughs) And almost crawled my way to the the cathedral at the end. But it it was interesting as this, as a woman who didn't know, the Lord just met me every single time. The first day when I got lost, I didn't get to my shelter um, until the, the sun had already gone down. And there was this sweet family from Spain. Only one of them spoke English. And one of them said, oh, we've been waiting for you. And I said, what? And she goes, yes, we have food for you. And they made the salad for me to eat. And I was starving by then. I was so hungry. So, yeah, the Lord took care of me every single step of the way. What did they, did you ever get to the bottom of what they meant? How did they know, what did they mean they were waiting for you? I, had they seen you or was nope. this? I think that was just. Were they angels? No, I, I, no, because I'm still friends with them on Instagram. But, oh, um, okay. I think it's, that's the pilgrim way. 
I think that's the, I, they've done a few um, um, pilgrimages, and I think that's the pilgrim way. They they were there. You see somebody come in, and you, I mean, obviously, I looked a little disheveled and tired and clueless, and I didn't speak Spanish. And I think it was just their way of saying "Welcome, pilgrim." And there were different things where you there where they would welcome pilgrims. Like if you're on um, if you're on the trail, you yell "Bueno Camino." which is like good, good Camino. Good walk. Yeah. So. So I speak Spanish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, not very much, but I know enough to know good walk. Yeah. Um, so you said that it really helped teach you that it's about the journey and not about the destination, which is a very, being about the destination is a very Western American thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's something I struggle with trying to be about the journey. So did your sabbatical experience change the way that you lead, the way that you live? How did it, what effect did it have on you after you came back and resumed life? Yeah, that's a great question. I think because I thought every day I wasn't going to make it, um, and I wondered if I would make it or not. I, I think it, and I did make it, I think it just breathed life, you know, like helped me out with my faith. Um, because there are a lot of days where I'm like, am I, am I going to make it here? I'm tired. I'm, but then I'll think about how thankful I was and how thankful I am. And, um, and if, I, if I don't and if I feel like, this is too hard. And I feel like even on the journey, I was like, okay, if I don't want to continue to walk and I feel like this is too hard, figure out a way to hitchhike back. But either way, I got to get there. So I think it helped me with endurance and thinking through um, things long-term versus, and also short-term, like taking more chances in life and in decisions that I make in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I ended up getting a dog this fall, too, was mm-hmm. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to get a dog, waiting for life to slow down. I've been waiting for things to uh, change because my lifestyle is a certain way, you know, mm-hmm. on staff. And um, and then I thought, why? Just this this is a season. Just get the dog. <laughs> so That's great. What's your dog's name? His name is Emerson. Are you a member of Dogs, Dogs, Dogs yes. on Workplace? Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I'm a member of Cats, Cats, Cats. I am also a member of Cats, 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 although oh. I don't have a cat, but I think they're hilarious. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cats are hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you on there. Yeah. If I have. have you posted any pictures of Emerson? I posted one photo. It looks like I'm driving, but I'm actually parked. And uh, he's just in the rearview mirror. I was thinking about posting more, but I'm like, is that excessive? I don't want to be, I mean, I'm already that person on Instagram. I don't want to be that person on the workplace and everybody you know I work with. Like, here's my dog again. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. So.